Welcome to With You in the NICU, a podcast for infant patients' parents and practitioners. Each episode aims to last as long as a pumping session for mom, or you could listen to several while you practice skin-to-skin with baby. With You in the NICU is produced by the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation. This episode is made possible by presenting sponsor Natus with support from Chronically Simple. Your host for With You in the NICU is Jenna Morton, a parenting journalist and mother of two preemie boys. Welcome to this episode of With You in the NICU. I'm your host, Jenna Morton, mom of twin preemie boys and their older sister who also had a bit of an interesting journey and spent time in the NICU. This episode focuses on those unpredictable ways in which we enter parenthood and how we might react. I'm joined by Dr. Mara Tesler-Stein. She's a psychologist, co-author of two books about parenting children who are born preterm, and a perinatal trauma specialist. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. So am I, and I'm so excited to just dive right in and even just talk about this specialty of yours, perinatal trauma specialist. What Mm -hmm. does that mean? Well, um, what it means is that I have um, a specialization in what happens for people when anything in the reproductive period goes off track. So that can start all the way from the beginning, uh, trying to conceive. So things like infertility, uh, high-risk pregnancy, miscarriage, stillbirth, complications during a pregnancy, trauma in delivery if the pregnancy was was uncomplicated, uh, uh, preterm delivery, uh, delivery of a baby who has some medical complications, time in the in the NICU, or perhaps time in the PICU. So it, and it also includes um, looking at what happens to parents and families when there are perinatal mood and anxiety disorders as well. So any sort of rupture during the reproductive period is, is where I focus. And what led you to focus on this in particular? Well, it, it's such a, it's such a great question. I, I had actually started my career um, as a child and adolescent specialist which meant working with kids and parents. Um, and I was really always interested in babies. Um, and I was actually always interested in trauma. And so when I was, when my husband and I were ready to start a family and that did not go smoothly, um, and through a process of infertility treatment, um, became pregnant with my twins, who turned out to be identical twins, ironically enough, uh, and then ended up in preterm labor at 24 weeks, spent six and a half weeks on bed rest in the hospital, and then my twins were born at about 30 weeks, and they spent 10 weeks in the hospital coming home on oxygen and apnea monitors. I was desperately seeking all kinds of things, information, conversation, uh, to, to, to reorient myself, and I could find nothing. Now, this was in the, in the mid-90s. So, you know, the internet with all of its various um, uh, nooks and crannies of information and, and uh community were not were not so easily available as they are now. Um, but that said, the, the books that I found um, had very little on the emotional experience. And I remember looking at one that had, you know, a handful of paragraphs on, on grief, you know, two on guilt. And I thought, man, either there is something wrong with me or they're missing something here. And as I found community, ultimately, um, online, 
um, in a listserv that was an international listserv of parents of premature babies called Premial, I realized it wasn't just me. And I became more and more determined to speak out about the experience and also to learn more about the range of experiences that parents around the world have had. Um, because it wasn't about, just about my experience. It was about overall this experience of rupture and, and trauma um, in the perinatal period and starting specifically with preterm birth and NICU. Um, and then from there it grew um, as I, as I talked to, to more and more people and, and really looked at the range and the depth of, of what people live through as they try to build a family. I think it's so important for parents who are in the NICU to have that realization that even someone who was trained yeah. had trouble finding yeah. that information and that it's even today with all the technology we have and the books that have been written, it can still feel hard to find that connection at first. Very much so. There's, there's something about, there's a difference, first of all, between having concrete information that, that's just theoretical. Like I had seen pictures of preterm babies. I knew what that looked like. And yet when I was about 26 weeks um, in, in the hospital and back in the more acute care part of the, the antepartum unit, and I asked the nurse, what do 26 weekers look like? And she ran away. <laughs> this is essentially what she did. She said small and ran away. And I thought, I knew that, that part I knew, but, it, but thinking about it now, I wasn't really asking what 26 weekers look like. I think I was sort of asking her, what will my 26 weekers look like if they were born today? Which of course she couldn't answer specifically, but it was, it was an effort finally after two weeks on bed rest in the hospital to say, how will I parent these babies? Because that's gonna be my task. And that's the task that every parent faces in the NICU. Even if you have older children, how do I become a parent to this baby or these babies who are different either because they were born with medical complications or um, after a complicated uh, birth or because they're preterm or all of the above? So it's a different kind of baby. And then I'm a different kind of parent. That's exactly right. And it's such a... I think it's a hard realization for some people to to come to understand that and some people struggle for a long time to find that footing very much so what are some of the things that we should be looking out for in ourselves or in our partners to to recognize that someone needs our help i think that the very often the signs of struggle Sometimes they're loud and sometimes they're quiet. So for some people like me, um, anxiety was uh, probably streaming out of my pores as all I can imagine. You know, I would, I would ask the same question over and over again when I was on bed rest, especially in those first days. And, you know, the main question is usually have the contractions slowed down and, you know, am I still, am I you know, is my cervix dilating anymore? Please say no, that sort of thing. Um, but it, it, it's like becomes a sort of mantra that doesn't move you forward. So when people are spinning, when you're when you find yourself telling the same story over and over again, kind of trying to find a hook in it or trying to find a way through it, that might be a signal of, wow, 
uh, something stuck. Something stuck here. Um, for some people, there's withdrawal. There's, I don't want to talk about it. I'm numb. I'm fine. I don't feel anything. Um, I have things I need to do. I need to show up. I need to do X, Y, Z. And that's all I've got. And that's really um, very common and can be quite adaptive for a period of time. And this is one of the reasons why when a baby does come home after NICU stay, very often it's not, not long after that that people start to, to feel symptomatic and have difficulty. Because during what, what feels like the, the height of crisis, and, and often is the height of crisis, they're just in a, in a just-do-it kind of mode. And, and for some people, there's a combination. You know, being anxious and overwhelmed doesn't mean you don't show up and do the things you need to do or call in all the time if you can't get to the NICU, if you're far away. For lots of families, babies are transported to a regional center and they can't be there. Or they have older children and they can't be there as much as they might like. Um, so whatever that means to, to show up and do the things that, that make, that are meaningful to you and that make sense to you. Um, so, so anxiety, um, deep sadness, um, difficulty thinking, uh, although lack of sleep will contribute to that. And no matter what Mickey nurses will advise in, in the, for the best, best of, best of intentions, go home and sleep. It's not so easy to do. No, even when you get some sleep, it's not real restful sleep then. <laughs> it's no, it's and really, when you think about it, who has a newborn baby and goes home and, and sleeps for eight hours? No one I know. No one that no. I know would admit to it anyway. <laughs> no. No, exactly. Not, we're not wired to do that. And it, it, it's, it's another kind of reverberation around the loss of having a baby in the NICU, not being able to just bring your baby home, like probably 99% of people that, that you and I know have to do. So it's, there's this, this funny feeling about like, well, going home and sleeping just feels off. Besides the fact that you're preoccupied and, and worried and want to know what's going on probably all the time, especially early on. Yes. And, and yes, most healthcare professionals are very knowledgeable these days to talk, to try to encourage people, you know, to rest and to take care of themselves and, you know, to take the time but it's so hard to do that. It is, it is. To the point where sometimes it, it almost, you get, to, you need to stop telling me that. <laughs> I, I yes. get it and That's I'm trying right. my best. But what, what are some of the ways that you would suggest people do try to deal with those feelings, the, that anxiety and that, those, those deep emotions? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, that, Boy, there, there are a number of ways to do it, and they sort of interlock. First thing is to, to realize that when you have a perinatal trauma, when you have a preterm baby, um, you lose your innocence, and then you lose your peer group. And so who are you going to talk to? You know, probably not your sister or your neighbor or your mother who all had full-term babies, let's say. Um, and, and so the isolation initially, the disorientation, is really painful. And so... It, it can be really difficult for people to know, how do I talk about this? Is there something really wrong with me? Am I crazy? And so I really want people to know you're not crazy and you're also not alone. The, the experience of, of disruption inside, of feeling all jumbled up, is, is a natural response to a crazy situation. 
and even people who had no prior trauma or losses and no um, vulnerabilities to, to be especially impacted by a current trauma or loss are shaken up by these experiences to one degree or another. And so feeling shaken up is really understandable. And so if you can find community, if you can find other people who've been through something like what you're going through, that is step number one. Um, finding a place to be able to say, I can't walk away from the bedside without start, my heart starting to pound. What's wrong with me? Or anybody else feel like this? Or what do you do? Um, so, so just that is, is a good place to start. And then recognizing that the anxiety and the worry and they're not the same things as anxiety um, are also normal and very often connected to the, the attachment that you feel to your baby. Vigilance is an attachment function. This is a thing that we do. We watch over. That's our job. And so if you have a baby in the NICU, suddenly you've got these really skilled, and I mean really skilled, people taking care of your teeny tiny baby, doing all kinds of things that were not in the parenting books that you read. This was not what you expected to be doing, you know? I was most concerned about how am I gonna nurse my twins together? And I remember asking at one point along my bed rest journey when, when one of the neonatal nurses came up to talk to me, and I asked her, so do you think I'll be able to, to, to nurse my twins together? And she just looked at me like, um, huh, how do I back up? But, but this, was, this is an effort to try to feel normal to try to hold on to anything that feels like what, what it might have been like to not be in this really tumultuous situation. And so, you know, try, trying to recognize that if I'm feeling preoccupied, if I'm feeling anxious, if my body isn't settling down, what's going on? Am I picking up on something that's real? You know, is something going on with the baby that I'm noticing before anybody else notices. Maybe it's subtle. And that may be your body alarm telling you something. Or might it be a sign of, of the aftermath of the trauma of the, of the early delivery and what came before and what has come since. And when, when there's trauma, the body goes into a hypervigilant mode. And so the, the, the threshold comes down so far that almost everything feels dangerous. And so the, it's like, it's like the, the smoke detector is going off all the time. And so it's no longer alerting you to, to actual danger. It's alerting you to all kinds of things because it's, it's not calibrated anymore. And that's a very common uh, response in the aftermath of trauma. And so there are therapeutic ways that we can deal with that in, in a clinical setting. Um, but, but even in, just in the NICU at the bedside, things that, that you can do to ground yourself in the present moment, in your body, um, can help to, to calm down the nervous system, even just a little bit. Don't think about this as either I'm agitated or I'm calm. You're likely to, to vacillate along the spectrum at any given moment. It's really hard to sit in a NICU and be entirely calm. The setting just doesn't 
doesn't provide much to support that. Even in our more modern NICUs that have lower lighting and lower sound and smaller rooms and, and things like that, it's still intensive care. So if you can bring down the, the agitation, bring down the hyperarousal in your body, doing things like um, digging your heels into the ground if you're starting to feel floaty or like your, your, um, your mind is fuzzy. Uh, you might play, go out, go outside for a minute, play catch with somebody. Um, you could even just, just crumple up a piece of paper and play catch with one of the nurses for, for a minute or two. It's, it's, it's funny. It's, it sounds sort of simplistic, but these are, these are activities that really bring you back into your body in a much more visceral way. Now, you might say, I don't want to be in my body. It's very uncomfortable in there. I don't want to be in my body. It's not so good. Um, it sort of depends on how you're feeling. For some people, they're kind of floating and out there and they're not feeling much, you know, but they also aren't able to keep track of what's happening with the baby because they can't hear what's happening around them because they're not feeling much. So, so there's, it's a big question, like what can you do about the different kinds of symptoms that you might be feeling that are uncomfortable and that are making it hard. And here's the key point. Think about what is making it hard to, to foster and strengthen the bond between you and your baby. So my philosophy is we do everything we can to, to encourage and hold and facilitate the connection between parent and baby. And in the NICU, there are moments when it's really hard to believe that that's happening. But it's happening. It just may be happening in a form that's unfamiliar to you. So whether it's calming down the nervous system or whether it's pulling yourself back into your body to being present so you can orient and turn to your baby. Um, whether it's um, finding nurses that you can really feel connected to and collaborate with and ask questions to and know that you're respected. Forming those relationships. This is one of the key tasks that we have in the NICU relationship with the baby, relationship with other people, including your partner, healthcare providers, extended family, and then of course, relationship with yourself. Who am I now? As a person, as a spouse, as a parent, as the person I was before, maybe the professional person I was before. There's so many pieces here. It's such a good reminder of all those, those little tiny things that you might, yeah, you can kind of just say, oh, that looks silly, that sounds silly, but it can have such an impact to take those few minutes to do something like that. And yes. at the same time, have to try a couple different ways to figure yes. out what it is that's going to work for you. Absolutely. And it could be the things that had worked for you for general self-care prior to the, the baby's birth or, or the complicated pregnancy may feel really different in the NICU or may feel un, um, inaccessible. So if you had a meditation practice that worked great for you, you may find that, that that's just not accessible in quite the same way as it was because the ability to sit or to concentrate in those particular ways just may not feel, you may not just feel like you can go there, like you can do that yet. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are a thousand ways to meditate. There are a thousand ways to be mindful. There are a thousand ways to be present. 
and anything that brings you more into the present moment in your body, um, even just a little bit, is going to be better for you, better for your family, better for the connection with your baby, um, to stay to stay here. And, and really, so often, the, the stuff that's really disruptive is us also going into the future, imagining what's coming next, what's going to happen, what if. Um, and while it's completely understandable to go there, we don't, we can't live in the future. I mean, the only thing you can do is say, okay, here's what I know right now. And here's what I've got today. In any moment today that I can appreciate and savor, I should capture and savor. So if I get, to, if I get to touch the baby, if I get to hold the baby, if we can do skin to skin kangaroo care, if the vent setting comes down just a little bit, right? If, if something changes in a positive direction, weight goes up, anything at all to pause, to take it in, to notice how you feel inside somatically. How does that feel in your body? What does that bring up for you? It might bring up terror. Like, is this going to continue? Is it real? Is it real? Okay. So notice that. That's okay. That's, that's understandable. Just pay attention to that. Because what you, all that you're experiencing is part of this journey of being parent to this baby. And you don't know in the moment what that's all about, where that's going to bring you. Um, but I can tell you from many years of talking to people, living through it myself, it's remarkable where it brings you. It just, it just isn't going to show you a preview window of where it's taking you. I think that really captures the spirit of what we want people to take away from this conversation today. And the last point that we should probably take away is what are the next steps when someone has decided they need more help to figure this out? That's a great question. So first of all, I, will, I really want people to know that help is out there and available and that when you find somebody with with the background, the specific background, and I'll tell you about that, you'll come in and, and be seen by somebody who is going to see you as an intact whole person, not as a broken person. Somebody who will understand what trauma looks like and how to help put the pieces back together. So first and foremost, look for somebody who has perinatal mental health training. And fortunately, um, the, the largest worldwide organization, Postpartum Support International, just published a database, a provider list that will tell you all kinds of things about people who, who are interested in perinatal mental health, what kind of training they have, what kind of specializations they have. Because there are people who treat postpartum depression and anxiety and, and may see some perinatal trauma, but that's not necessarily what they know best. So look for somebody with a perinatal mental health emphasis um, who's done some, the trainings, um, somebody who um, also has trauma training, because that makes all the difference in the world. Being able to understand what's happening through that lens um, helps you to understand why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. And it also means that your, your therapist has some tools to help with the healing. So I would look for somebody with certification in something called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. You might also, if you can't find 
um, in addition to EMDR, any sort of treatment that takes a real neurobiological approach is going to be much more effective overall than only talking about. Although talking about is incredibly important and incredibly helpful. Being seen and understood is powerful stuff. EMDR, brain spotting, sensory motor psychotherapy, sensory experiencing. These are modalities that can be very powerful in getting underneath the symptoms, kind of getting into the body. Um, and there, and you know, you can come to my website. Um, I'm developing a list of resources um, for how people can find those practitioners in their areas around the world, um, so that you can find what you need. Because there, it, it can be so um, demoralizing to come to a therapist and really feel like they have no idea what I'm talking about, you know. And and you know, when somebody says to you, when your baby is home, well, turn off the monitor, turn off the baby monitor. And you're thinking, this baby just got home from the NICU. I am not turning off the, the baby monitor. And if you don't understand why I'm not doing that, ah, we have a problem here, right? Which is not to say that ultimately turning off the baby monitor may not be the thing to do. But if you don't have that framework and you don't understand where that came from, you know, and it's, and it's seen as just sort of, oh, well, you have an anxiety disorder without framing it and understanding all the nuances and all the pieces, you're still as lost as you were before. I'm just curious too, in your, in your line of practice now, is it, is it more common for people to do remote therapy for something like this? Because it is such a specialty mm -hmm. when you have parents who are in smaller geographic areas, yeah. you know, population wise, there's less likely that you're going to have something with that training. Right. It's, it's, it's a great question. It's complicated. There, are, there is definitely more telehealth available. The, the, the difficulty is, is that the, the provider still needs to be licensed in the state in which you live. So that's important to know. That's number one. Um, number two, there are some sorts of treatment that are, that are hard to do remotely. EMDR is difficult to do remotely. It can be done, um, but it's, it's, it's a very much of a face-to-face -face kind of treatment. So sometimes the, the thing to do is to find somebody remotely who can help you find the, the closest or the best possible fit for you. The other thing that can, that can be helpful for, for people sometimes is to find someone who does intensives for trauma work, if that's appropriate for you. It's another option. It's something people are doing more and more, where you go away for a day or two, which again may not be possible, may not be easy, or, or you may you may live near somebody, a, a provider who does that, where you go in and you get a block of treatment um, to move through maybe the most disruptive part of what you're experiencing, and so that's another way that um, sometimes people can can manage that, and sometimes that's that's many months or years after the trauma. Um, where, where the idea of going in once a week just feels impossible. Maybe, maybe the closest person is far away and it's actually more efficient to go in for half day or full day therapy, but for short amounts, of, you know, for short periods. I think we should leave our discussion there for today. And I think you've probably given a lot of people a lot of things to, to think about and, and to look forward to. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Mara Tesler-Stein is a psychologist, an author, and a perinatal trauma specialist based in Illinois. 
You can find more about her work at docmara.com. That's D-O-C-M-A-R-A.com. With You in the NICU is created to keep pumping mothers and others company in and out of the NICU. It is produced for the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation by Jenna Morton and Tosh Taylor. Financial assistance is provided through education grants from presenting sponsor Natus with support from Chronically Simple. You can learn more about the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation by following them on Facebook or online at cpbf-fbpc.org.